the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered him, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and and all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus heard that he had replied so wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The word of God for the world. Well, you could feel the tension in the air as Jesus is having this conversation with this religious official. It felt like a high-stakes conversation from the very beginning, a high-level dispute, Mark says, a debate that's going on between these two major powers at the time, this religious official and Jesus. Now, most of the time when Jesus is having these kinds of conversations with religious officials in the Gospels, they don't end well. They get heated to the point where at the end, usually the religious officials, they have their jaws drop in silence by what he said, or, or sometimes they just walk away in a huff because Jesus had bested them. And in fact, the chapter before this one, Jesus was having a conversation with another set of religious officials that got to be so heated that at the very end of it, Mark says, these religious officials started to plot then and there how to kill Jesus. Oftentimes, when Jesus is debating these high-ranking religious officials, it doesn't go well, except this time. This time, Jesus is having a conversation that has a happy ending, that ends not only well, but remarkably. 
Because at the very end of this conversation, this particular scribe says something to Jesus to which Jesus says to this person, you are not very far from the kingdom. That's, that's remarkable. It, it would be remarkable to hear it if we were there in that conversation, but it would be even more remarkable if someday God were to say to you and to say to me, you are not very far from the kingdom. So we're left to ask the question, what happened in this conversation that sets it apart from every other debate or dispute that Jesus had with the scribes and Pharisees? What was it about this man, this scribe, that evoked this kind of amazing reaction from Jesus? More importantly, what is it about this conversation that could be a gateway for us? that could be instructive for you and me on how to live a remarkable life. Well, Mark gives us some pointers on this one. And of course, since this is a sermon, he gives us three points. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. And because I'm a preacher, I want to give you these three points beginning with all the same letter. And the first point is this. If you want to live a remarkable life, if you want to have Jesus respond to us the way he responded to this scribe, the first point is this. Listen. Listen to God. First thing that Jesus says to this scribe is this. Hear, O Israel. H-E-A-R. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Now, immediately, the people who would have heard Jesus say that would have known that that was not only a common phrase in the Israelite canon of Scripture, it was the most important prayer in their spiritual life. In fact, the most important prayer even for Jewish people today, to hear God. In other words, to put away anything that would distract us from hearing God's voice to deprioritize anything that would pull away our full attention from what God is trying to tell us. And I have to say, that is really hard. Hard to listen to God with that kind of singularity of focus and purpose, purple, purpose of attention. Not purple attention, purpose of attention. Because I don't know about you. But even, even a person like me who wears this robe on Sunday mornings has a hard time in moments of giving God my full attention, particularly first thing in the morning, you know, that transition moment between full slumber and wakefulness when I haven't even opened my eyes yet, that's the moment when all of the noise starts drifting into my consciousness, all of the unresolved Moments and thoughts and feelings of the previous days start filtering in. And coupled with all of the pressures and the deadlines that I know are awaiting me in the day that lies ahead, all of the to-do lists and checklists that I know are waiting for me when I get out of bed, and the full sum result of it is that I start getting filled not only with anxieties about what was and what is, but even self-doubts about whether I can handle all of it, all of those voices 
all of that noise. And it's hard. And it's in those moments that God would remind the people of God that the most important and most prevalent command is this. Hear. Listen, O Israel. One of my favorite prayers that was taught to me many years ago came in a similar moment of noisiness in my life. Someone was praying with me, happens to be sitting here. Our dear friend Bernie Leaving was praying with me in that moment, and he offered a prayer that I've never forgotten. He said in this prayer, O God, silence all voices but yours. I love that prayer. O God, silence all voices but yours. Because we need help. We can't push a mute button on our thoughts and our feelings. We need the presence of God's Spirit to help attenuate our attentiveness to the wavelength of God's voice. Silence all voices but yours. I love what Henry Nouwen once wrote. He's one of the great spiritual writers of our time. Uh, Listen to what he writes about how to silence those voices and listen for the word that God has for us. This is what he says. He says, many voices ask for our attention. There is a voice that says, prove that you are a good person. Another voice says, you'd better be ashamed of yourself. Many of us have heard that voice before. There's also a voice that says, nobody really cares about you. And one that says, be sure to become successful, popular, and powerful. But underneath all these, often very noisy voices, is a still, small voice that says, let's read these words together. You are my beloved. My favor rests on you. That's the voice we need most of all to hear. To hear that voice, however, requires special effort. It requires solitude, silence, and a strong determination to listen. That's what prayer is. It is listening to the voice that calls us. Let's say these two words together. My beloved. It should be no wonder to us. The very first thing that Jesus says to this scribe is to listen Lord, your God is one. There is only one voice that is worthy of your full attention. Listen for it. And that sets it up for the second step. The next point that Jesus gives right after that is another L word. This word should be no surprise to us. It is to love. Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There's no surprise there. Jesus talks about love all the time. We've heard about love as part of our religious vocabulary. I've preached about loving God and loving others so many times. But in this context, it means something even more special. What does it mean to love in a way that lives a remarkable life? Well, I think one key to understanding that is to look at the word love in the Hebrew language. 
I've often said that the Hebrew language is a peculiar one. There is often no one-to-one correlation between the Hebrew word and the English word for it. There's always something lost in translation when we try to find a one-to-one word translation. And that's the case with the Hebrew word for love, ahav, which means so much more something so much deeper than simply sentimentality or affection or emotion, all that ooey-gooey stuff. That Hebrew word, ahav, that word for love, also has a dimension to it of breathing, of breath. To love someone in this way means to breathe for them to long for them, to to breathe with them. In other words, to draw so closely and intimately in relationship with that person that you are actually sharing the same air, that you are sharing the same breath, that all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is in synchronicity with the whole being of that other person. What Jesus is saying in loving God means to draw so closely to God that you're able to feel God's heartbeat, that you're able to get in sync with God's breath, that everything that you are belongs to God. That's what loving God means. And that's the same thing it means to love other people. As remarkable as this sounds, to love other people means that you draw so closely to them That anything that differentiates you from them, anything that would set you apart in difference or in conflict from that other person, fades away because you are so intimately drawn to them that you are breathing with them. There was a study last year by the University of Colorado where they studied couples of people who have been together for a very long time, loved ones, lifelong partners. And they studied the way they act around each other and with each other when they're together. And they began to notice some remarkable physical qualities about the two people. That eventually, when they were in the same room together, they started to echo, they started to mimic each other's physical gestures. When they would walk side by side, they would instinctively not only join hands together, but they would begin to walk in the same cadence and pace with each other. For those of you who have been with a person for a really long time, you may know this intuitively, that you begin to anticipate their movements, you begin to telecast their, their actions. And in fact, it's even more than that. This University of Colorado study revealed that even their cardiorespiratory systems begin to get in sync. Their brainwave patterns begin to match up. In other words, they begin to breathe with each other. That is love. There was another study done by a psychologist named Tema Ehrenfurt, and she recognized that when you are with another person in the same physical vicinity of a person who happens to be anxious, filled with tension and worry, fearful, that one of the things you can do with and for that person is to invite them to breathe with you to inhale and exhale in a calm, natural rhythm. That after a while, simply by breathing with them, 
all of that tension begins to fade and it is replaced by what the Hebrew people would recognize as love. You see, we live in a world today that does not know that kind of love, that would rather us recede into our tribes and to reinforce those categories that would differentiate us from one to another based on ideology or physical characteristic or any of a number of differentiating qualities. But when Jesus said that we are to love other people as ourselves, Jesus was saying that you tear down all of those walls and you dare to enter into an intimate vicinity of those people regardless of whether they are different from you or whether they have wronged you or whether you have wronged them and you begin to synchronize your whole being with them and you breathe with them and you love them. Jesus said... Listen for God. Silence all voices but those that belong to God. And then synchronize your breath with the heartbeat of God and dare to love other people as yourself. Listen and love. And now we get set up for the third and final L, which is the moment, the moment in the entire story that sets this conversation apart from every other conversation Jesus would have with the scribes and Pharisees. This one moment is what changes the trajectory of this conversation toward a happy ending as opposed to the typical ending where it ends badly. And it happens when the scribe says this in response to Jesus. He begins by saying, you know, Jesus, you're right. You're right, the Lord is one, and I should love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I should love my neighbor as myself. And then he says this, God bless you. (laughs) Well-timed, by the way, that was very good. (laughs) This is what he says. Jesus Everything you just said is more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, to which all God's people said, huh? But when Jesus heard it, he said, wow. Because this is what this man said. He said, Jesus, I know that I'm to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. And I know that doing that is more important than observing religious ritual for a certain period of time every week. In other words, loving God and loving people is something I need to do for more than just an hour on Sabbath. I know, Jesus, that I need to do this for much more than 11 o'clock to noon on Sunday morning. Or if I forgot to set my clock back, 12 to 1 on Sunday morning. He recognizes that Jesus is calling followers of Jesus to do this, not just for an hour, not just for one day, but every single day of the week in every single waking moment. In other words, what Jesus is calling us to is to make listening and loving a way of life. And when the man recognized that, Jesus said, wow, you 
you are not far from the kingdom. Now we applaud this man, but we're also jealous of this man. Because you know as well as I do that making this a daily part of our life, every single hour of every day of every week, is hard. There are lots of things that we are busy with that draw our attentiveness away from loving God and loving others. We know it's important, cognitively, cerebrally, we know that we need to busy ourselves with the spiritual practices of, of worshiping, of being a part of a small group, of serving other people. We know that we have private practices we need to fill our lives with, like praying diligently and reading the Scripture, inviting other people into the faith, and giving of our financial resources to God. We know all of this stuff, but it is still hard. So I wonder if Mark would offer for us any encouragement, any tools, any resources that would help us know that it is not impossible to live this kind of remarkable life. I wonder if there's anything we can hear this morning that would remind us that it is not impossible to live this kind of life. And you know what? Mark gives us that resource. We've, in fact, already celebrated this resource at the start of the service this morning with these 33 candles that we have lit and lifted. Right before this scripture reading is another interesting conversation that Jesus has with a whole different set of religious officials. And these officials were out for blood. They were asking Jesus all sorts of trap questions designed to trick him into something he shouldn't say. They were testing him with questions about what happens after we die. And they started pummeling him with these questions, expecting him to slip up. But this is what Jesus says. Right before this morning's scripture reading, he says these words. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And what he means by that is this. That when a person steps from living on this earth, when a person dies, that person is still connected to God. That person is still under the care and providence and power of God. That person is still alive in a very real way in God. God is not the God of the dead. God continues to be the God of the living, even from those who have stepped off this earth in death. And what that means is that their lives are still alive to us in witness and example. That these people that we have celebrated may be gone in some ways, but in the most important way and in the most real way, they are alive in God as a witness and example to us, which means that in those moments that we feel stuck about how to live the life God wants us to live, then God has given us as a tool and a resource the witness of all of these people whose lights adorn this altar and the countless generations of saints who join them in life eternal. So if you'd like an example of how to live your faith, then just look at those that we celebrate today. I think about Larry Wilder. His candle is up here. A talented architect who channeled his passions and his talents to make a difference out in the community, rebuilding and preserving schools all throughout Tampa. 
and offering his gifts and his abilities to help us with our Portico campus. I think about Martha Rakita, good old Marty, always a smile on her face to greet me as she left this 11 o'clock service, a school teacher during the time of segregation who taught her students about the value of equality and human dignity. I think of Larry Lamell, passionate about God's Word, committed to the ministry called the Gideons, to put in every person's hands a copy of the Scriptures. I think about so many people, like Frank May, wonderful guy who was always here for small groups and Bible studies and Friday mornings, part of our, our Sunday school stuffers, our, 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 our Sunday morning bulletin stuffers. I think about Jim Stewart, a person we just celebrated a couple weeks ago, a gifted mind who believed that to be a person of faith, you could also engage the intellect. You can even exercise doubt and skepticism and still be strong in your faith. And all the small groups he led from youth to adults invited questions of the faith. I think of Linda Kamak. So many ministries that involved Linda throughout the years. Altar Guild, Vacation Bible School, small groups. So many people that we celebrate on this list got it. They knew how to live a remarkable life. And now, they are still among the living in God to show us how to live a remarkable life. And brothers and sisters, someday... Your candle will be on that altar too. Your name will be read. The candle will be lit and lifted. And while death might seem in some ways like an ending, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. What will be your living witness to those who come after you? May it be for all of us that we would be three for three, listening to God with our fullest attention, silencing all voices that do not belong to God. May we learn to love God and others with such intimacy that we share breathing with God and other people. And may we learn to live life as God intends it and as the saints continue to show us every single day so that someday you can hear the exact same words that this scribe heard and hear it for yourself. You got it. You are not very far from the kingdom. Let us pray together. Gracious and eternal God, we thank you for this powerful, challenging, and comforting word to listen, to love, and to live. We thank you for the example of the saints and the ongoing gift they are to all of us. Help us to remember that we are not alone, that we are empowered by your Spirit to do all of these things, not only to impact the lives of others around us, but especially those who follow. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that all God's people say, amen. So we prepare for Holy Communion by offering ourselves to God.
the fullness of our commitments, the generosity of our finances, as we invite you to prepare your tithes, your offerings, and your prayer cards.